I don't know when this is coming out, but if I can just mention I'm doing this for my cousin, I just want that to be mentioned. That's all. And I wish him well, wherever he is. I'm doing this for him. He's giving me the strength to talk again. Hey there, my name is Sean and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives. We almost never talk about it. We certainly don't talk about it enough. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, are not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors. Now, if you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. And if you have joined me here on the podcast, and if you have listened, whether this is your first time or you come back week after week, just a huge thanks. I really appreciate it. I think we're doing some really good work here, and I think we're all making a difference. So again, thank you. Now, check the show notes for all kinds of other cool things we're doing, ways you can get involved or participate if that's what you want to do. Of course, if your only thing is listening, that's more than enough. But I do want to remind you of a few things. We have a membership in exchange for your financial contribution. There are some perks. I want to thank Matt, wherever you are, Matt. Thank you for becoming a premium member. And I also want to remind you that we have programs we offer. When I say programs, I mean one of our goals is to take this very podcast, the idea of having these conversations, into live, in real life settings. We did that back at the NAMI NC conference in the fall. We want to keep doing that. So if you or someone you know might be able to help us do that, or perhaps you hire people to have these kinds of conversations and open up the dialogue and perhaps change the narrative, let us know. We also have keynote presentations and even a solo play I recently wrote. So that is something else if you want to get more involved or help us help more people feel a little less shitty and a little less alone. Of course, we are talking about suicide on this podcast like we do every Monday. And like the title suggests, we know it's not a good fit for everybody. So please take that into account before or as you listen. But I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. Today, I am talking with Christina. Christina lives in New Hampshire and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Hey, Christina. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's nice that you even do this. I, I When I heard about the podcast, I was like, I have to listen to this. And it's really you, cool. You are in New Hampshire? I am, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Not a fan. Not a fan of New Hampshire? No. Grew up in Massachusetts. Uh, not a fan of the Northeast. I, I, I don't like the seasons. I like summer. I hate fall. I hate winter. I have seasonal affective disorder, so that doesn't help that I live in New Hampshire. It's hard because my boyfriend uh, grew up in the South. He grew up in Florida where I, I'd like to, I don't know about Florida, but yeah, like where you live, North Carolina, like I'd love to move there. I have some friends who live there. I got it. Yeah. So not a fan of the cold Northeast. All right. You sent me this email and it was kind of a very interesting email about yourself and I believe a loss that you dealt with. So 
in um, July, uh, end of July, we lost my cousin, Sean, who um, had dealt with depression his whole life. Huge loss. I mean, he was like a brother to me. We grew up less than a mile away from each other as kids. And he was just the most selfless person you'd ever want to know. And when I heard, I heard of your podcast through The Moth, listening to The Moth, which is another favorite podcast. I love podcasts. Just to be clear here, you heard me on two of your favorite podcasts. <laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is another favorite of mine. I mean, I, you didn't say it was one of your favorites. I'm putting words in your mouth. Yeah, oh. I love I love The Moth. I love um, This American Life. I don't know if I'm, I should I be saying the names of the podcasts? I don't know if that, yeah. is that okay? I'm not on This American Life, but I am on yeah, the blog for those be. of you that want to know. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I heard and I heard your story and your name was Sean. So I'm like, this has got to be a sign because <laughs> my cousin, he left behind a note to the family that said, you guys have to talk about this because like, I, I don't know, you know, it's funny because I always wanted to reach out to him, but my aunt was always like, no, no, you'll upset him. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want anyone to talk to him. And I'm thinking, you know. After this happened, I'm thinking, God, I wish I had the chance to reach out to him, you know, because like, not that I could have fixed him because I go through my own shit. Yeah. And he just said, you know, talk about it. You guys don't talk about it. And my family is very hush hush. My mom's side of the family is where he's from. He's my my aunt, who is my mom's sister's son, was yeah. my sister's son. They just put up a brick brick wall in front of them. They don't talk about this stuff. We got all the, the cliches. I think the selfish people are the ones who call people who take their own lives selfish because yeah i mean they're they're not doing it to hurt anyone else for you to want them to be around because they have a niece or a nephew that would miss them i mean that to me is selfish like you're thinking about other i don't get it my first question is you know you know i could be rather harsh and i don't mean to be I, well maybe i do mean to be those of you that are calling people selfish who in their lives or even attempt to end their lives were you in the picture did you reach out did you do anything? If you did, I will give it a slight pass, but you probably didn't. Right. I agree hundred percent. I mean, people were around my cousin. Um, my cousin was very good at hiding it. Very good. He had some attempts in the past where he ended up overdosing and he ended up with a seizure disorder and that on top of other stuff, just, yeah. you know, yeah. and he lived with it for years. Part of his, like I said, his note was talk about it. Please talk about it. My aunt told me I'm the only one who's come to her and like wrote her a letter after it happened, telling her about my memories of Sean and how much I enjoyed, you know, growing up with him. And so if Sean had passed away, God forbid, in a car accident, there would have been more people coming to your aunt saying, great guy. I, I remember we used to play sports together, whatever. Oh, yeah. But because yeah. you're saying because he did it this way, please help me understand. Yeah. No, tell, help me. You're pre preaching to the choir because I don't understand. All right. Let's help each other understand, but I don't think it's going to happen right now. It's, I mean, it's just, it's a touchy subject. I, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it, I don't know why I'm not, I, I'm not, it's not touchy for me. It's touchy like for who? For people that don't aren't in touch with their feelings, I guess. Oh, you know? okay. That's fair. Or people who are uncomfortable around uncomfortable things. I get it. I know. But it just, it struck me that he said that. And you know, that I never, I didn't read an actual letter, but my aunt mentioned that that's what he said in his letter. And it was just like, wow. Yes. You know, yeah. like we don't talk about it in my family. Nope. The thing that bugs me is that, you know, you say you're depressed and, and everything. And I mean, in my particular instance, again, that's his story. That's not mm -hmm. my story to tell. Mm -hmm. My story involves an eating disorder that I've had for 30 plus years, depression, anxiety. Mm -hmm. 
the fact that people say to me, it's just, it's frustrating that, you know, you mentioned the word, the suicide word, and they're like red sirens going off, but like you start to talk about, look, I'm depressed, I'm down. Oh, you'll get better. Or you, oh, you know, I mentioned it to my doctor. Like when I go to my doctor, there's this form I have to fill out, this questionnaire oh, about my mood. Forms. Jesus. <laughs> no, I know it's on a tablet and it's always the same. Or have you lost interest? And in, it's ridiculous. I don't fill them out anymore, Christina. Same for me all the time. So I don't want to do it anymore. But when I fill it out, you know, my doctor's always like, well, I'm a little concerned because I'm like, <laughs> you're concerned. Yeah. I, I filled it out the same way. She's like, well, it's a little worse this time. And, you know, I want to mention to you that there's hotlines, but, you know, will you help me find a therapist? Here I am. I, I was without a therapist from, I think it was like August to just now I finally found a therapist because there's been like a therapist shortage or whatever, but like you're, you're there for me with the hotline. Cause you, you yeah. think I'm going to commit suicide and that's the yeah. red flag. But what about just, I don't feel well, just talk to me. It's, it's, the system. it's truly a very broken system because I've been in other countries where they do spend time with you and it's so different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if he hadn't died, would you be as sensitive or aware as you are right now about suicide? Oh yeah. I mean, I had an attempt myself and um, you know, it, it's just, my depression has gotten worse through the years. You know, the, the world is a shitty place. I'm sorry to say that, but like the system, like we've been saying, is just a shitty system. And it's just, you know, when you hear my story more, you'll understand where I'm coming from. I don't know so much about his. So let's go to what you've gone through. Okay. I do think he gave me the strength to talk to you today. So yeah. if he doesn't die, we're not, probably not talking. No, because I, and my story again, I w was talking about it a lot when I was in grad school. I was talking about my um, own issues with my eating disorder and and depression. And and again, I'll tell you about that. I got kind of shut down from that. So I the past couple of years, I've kind of shied away from it, talking about it. Okay. But him having done what he did kind of reignited this thing inside me that makes me want to talk about it again. Let me ask you this. Did you attempt it to take your life? How many times have you done that? Uh, that's hard because it, there was one official attempt, but if you count, because I've been listening to the podcast, if you count taking more meds than you were prescribed, there's more times than I can count. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Let's go back then to, I'm trying to frame this because it's hard. I mean, we're talking about a lot of stuff. We're trying to cram it in. So when do you, do you remember about when you first started thinking of taking your own life as a possibility? High school. I mean, I grew up, I was kind of bullied in middle school. And I think it was because I was so shy. People thought I was stuck up and snobby. And I used to tell my mom about it. And she said, well, people call me stuck up, snobby and shy and stuff like that at your age too. And, you know, we we're just very introverted people. And um, it was hard. And, you know, in high school, I was very introverted. I didn't even want to show my face. in class. I was just so shy. It was yeah. always with my hand over my head, you know, didn't have any friends, even up to senior year, didn't have, uh, I never had a group of friends. Senior year is when everything changed. Senior year, I, long story short, I ended up going to the prom in the same limo as the class president because I was in this class, a uh, college preparatory class called Humanities, and I arrived in that class and I came out of my shell. The reason I think I didn't have many friends in high school is because I was into kind of music my brother was into. He was three years older than me. Metal. No, like alternative, Smashing Pumpkins, The Cure, stuff that they weren't is, into that. I remember wearing a Smashing Pumpkins t-shirt and someone telling me, what is Smashing Pumpkins? What are you Smashing Pumpkins? They didn't know what that meant. So yeah, senior year, 
people started to, hey, she's cool. She listens to, they finally got around to listening to decent music, but never, ever, even to this day, I don't have, I don't have friends. I don't have any friends. I had friends in college, close friends, but about 10 years after we graduated, lost touch. They had kids. You started thinking about it during the time before you were in the prom and in the limo with the popular guy? Early high school. Yeah. So my grandfather died in 92. And at the same time, my dad was diagnosed with a heart condition. So he stopped working. After my grandfather died, he invited my grandmother to live with us. So she lived with us. He didn't ask my brother or myself if we were good with that, even though it was fine. But it well, it wasn't fine because the four of us as a family, like my brother and I, my mom and dad, we ceased to exist because our house became Grand Central Station with my grandmother living there. They hired a nurse to take care of her. My parents took care of her till she was 99. She ended up in a nursing home at 99, didn't make it to her 100th birthday, I think by like not even a month, unfortunately. There was my dad's heart condition. It was the family dynamic was completely off. And I felt like I had no control Mm. to make matters worse. You know, my dad's heart condition, my mom, and this was the 90s. This was the diet craze. This was the fat-free era, you know. Um, my mom, they they put a treadmill and a exercise bike down in the basement. So the environment was primed for me to develop an eating disorder because I felt like I had no control over anything. And the eating disorder gave me con- a sense of control. All throughout high school, uh, it was just hard. It was hard dealing with my grandmother living with us. It was hard dealing with my dad's emotional state because he was so he was so stressed out over work and he had to stop working because they said his heart would get worse, his heart condition. I couldn't have an argument with my brother without my mom saying, your dad's going to die pretty much. You're going to, you're going to upset your dad and he's going to have a heart attack. Mm -hmm. And my brother being the, he was the class clown being the way he was. He didn't take that literally me being the way I was the introverted, anxious kid took it literally and thought, oh my God, if I have an argument or I yell or I raise my voice in front of my dad, he's going to drop dead. So it was just a lot that I felt like I couldn't control. And it was just, it was very difficult. And I, I guess my first thing I remember as a high school kid was going into the kitchen when they weren't at home and getting a knife and just putting it against my wrist, not doing anything, just putting it against my wrist, stuff like that. Before I went to college, um, my parents made me sign a contract with my psychiatrist that I would go get um, weed and go to a therapist on campus weekly, um, which I did. I would do that up until uh, sophomore year. And then I made Phi Beta Kappa. And my mom, the whole weighing thing went under the rug because like my mom's like, she's excelling. Like, forget the whole contract. She's staying in school. So I, and I, I persisted. Yeah. I persisted with my eating disorder in school. I would mm-hmm. go to the cafe and get my, my friends would be like, come to the cafe with us, come to the cafeteria with us, bring food into my room, eat in secret. You know, it was anorexia just to give you a picture. It wasn't bulimia or anything like that. And it just went on and on and, and, um, ended up graduating, applied. To, I wanted to go to grad school. I wanted to become an English professor. That was my, my major was in English, um, second in the English department. I think a lot of my achievements were OCD based because I'm very OCD, very, you know, perfectionist. And that goes along with the eating disorder thing. I applied to all the wrongs. I applied to grad schools like Brown, Cornell, all the Ivy League. So obviously I wasn't going to get in, uh, didn't get in any of those schools. So there's more, more upset in my life. Ended up 
voluntarily going into a um, a hospital for the eating disorder. Never got too bad physically with the eating disorder, but you know, was in in therapy for it, depression my whole life, dealing mm-hmm. with anxiety, all this other stuff. Went voluntarily into the hospital. Was there for two weeks. It was a shit show, ridiculous, stupid waste of time because yeah. all they did was um, watch you eat. There was no therapy involved. There was no therapy. The nurses counted out your meds, but there was no therapy, no nothing. And I mean, do you ever think that some of these places do that so they can just have you back again? Because you're paying. Well, the thing is, I was on uh, Amazon Medicare. I would, went on medical disability. So um, it was mostly paid for. It wasn't these fancy places that you can go yeah. into now that I need. I need like a residential place. That's what I needed. You know, I wasn't able to get it. So I got inpatient, which was two weeks just eating a timed meal in front of everyone else who, you know, it was just ridiculous waste of time. So 2005, I was 29. Um, I was working for this, uh, again, on disability, medical disability. So working part-time, working part-time. I was working for this publisher out of his house, which was very weird, um, in his attic, which of all places. And it was one of those jobs where there was no, like, he didn't tell me what the job entailed. So like, I would sit there at my desk and I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do? Like, I don't, I'm just sitting here. There's nothing to do. Ended up getting laid off from that. I think because he thought I wasn't doing the job, which I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. That day, it was in October. It was just, I'm a snowballer. If one thing bad happens, I, I have this, I keep this tally in my head of all these bad things. And if one bad thing happens, you know, I could go along my day and be fine, but uh, another bad thing happens and it all snowballs. And my brain is just like, mm-hmm. that's it, done. Lo and behold, I, my parents were in Italy at the time. They were on vacation and my brother lived about an hour away from me. I was living in Massachusetts at the time and I just didn't even think it was just a compulsive act on my part, just took a bunch of pills, um, like sleeping. I, I think I had like clonopin sleeping pills. Don't even remember taking them. Ca- Apparently I called my brother. I don't remember that either. And it came out somehow, or maybe he thought that, you know, my speech was slurred. I don't even know. Cause he's to this day, he won't talk to me about it more, not talking about it. He lived in New Hampshire at the time where I live, came to Massachusetts, um, spent the afternoon with me. I guess he called the hospital and told them, looked and saw what I took. I don't have any recollection of that day whatsoever. Um, He told me, he took me around town. I guess they told him to give me plenty of water. I guess I didn't take enough to really do anything, Mm. but they told him to have me drink plenty of water and just keep me awake. So that's what he did. I remember going to therapy with him the following day. He stayed with me and he went to my therapy with me to see my therapist. Vaguely remember that. My mom, when I mentioned it to her, when I mentioned that I I mentioned to her about this podcast, I said, do you know anything more about the attempt? And she's like, her eyes well up and she just walks away. She's like, I don't want to even, I don't want to talk about it. My brother, it's a distant memory that he, yeah. So how many people then or now do you have to talk about it with? No one. I, I mean, I've mentioned it to therapists. They're like noted, you know, check. They don't bring it up again. They never bring yeah. it up. They don't bring it. They don't say, are you still feeling suicidal? They know about my cousin. They know about my cousin. But they don't say, well, how are you feeling about that? I mean. I just want to go back for a second. I want to make a public service announcement. I don't know if it's a PSA. These are my moments, uh, Christina. If you are in the uh, mental health field, if you're a counselor or therapist and the word suicide scares you and the only thing you say is noted, I have two thoughts on that. One, get a new job. Seriously, you're killing people. And two, I think you might be a criminal. I don't know if you're a criminal, 
Because that's like a legal thing. You're definitely in the wrong job. I have my master's degree in psychology. These therapists are telling me this. I'm sitting there with a master's yeah. degree in psychology yeah. and I'm like, really? Get another job yesterday, please. You will do the world a great service by doing that. Please yeah. do that. I just want to say, I've had a therapist during COVID. I was like, why do I hear cars zooming in the background? She's like, oh, I'm, I'm filling my car up with gas. <laughs> oh, shit. Like, Kudos for her honesty. There's something there, but okay. Multitasking. Sorry. So where am I in the hierarchy here of your needs? Am I above the gas or below the gas? Okay. Um, all right. So nobody talks about it. Nobody talked about it then. No one talks about it now. I said, what would happen if I were over for dinner and it was your whole family? And I was like, hey, Christina, what happened in the thing in 2009? Five. 2000. Oh, 2005. Well, good. You would first correct me. Uh, 2005. They wouldn't know what you're talking about. Things get around in my family like crazy. You can't have any secrets. Like my my mom talks with her sisters and it goes around. Um, so I'm sure they all know. I told my mom I was going to be on this podcast. That I'm sure they all know about it. Even though I told her, I said, I want to tell my aunt. I just want it to be between me and my aunt. I want this to be for Sean. I don't know that. I'm sure they were told back in the day, but it's long. You wouldn't know by them actually engaging you with, about it. No one ever came up to me. No one said anything to me. If, but if one of them did, and it might depend on your mood and who the person was, right? There's other. Yeah. But you know what? I, I know it's been a long time. I know you had that thing happen in 2005, and I want to learn more about that. Would you share it with them? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, I want I want help. I'm still struggling, you know. I'm just like, yeah, yeah. It's just it's it's mind boggling, but like it's something that's not talked about. And I mean, that's been repeated over and over again on your show, your podcast. It's just something that people don't talk about. Honestly, no one mentioned it back in 2005. No one said a thing. My parents, yeah. when they got back from the the trip, uh, their Italy trip, I don't think they even mentioned it. But what? yet, when I bring it up today, my mom wells up and says, I don't want to talk about it, which is fine. That's, you know, that's her. Uh, fine. I mean, it's fine. I mean, it's not fine, but it's just, that's unfortunately the majority of the people in the world are like that. And I wonder, you know, yeah, you're probably right. Now you had said something about near attempts. What, was it pills, the near attempts or was it different methods? It was different things. It was pills. It was being a little like I was a late bloomer growing up. I never dated in high school. Um, I didn't date in college. I think my first date was when I was like 24. All right. I went through my rebellious phase or whatever after college. And I was a little, you know, like I would date guys and I'd be like, just do whatever you want. I, I was a very self inflicting things that I would do. Like, I would just say like, do whatever you want with me kind of thing. Like I was just really, it was self-harm, but not cutting. It was different uh -huh. forms. I would drive two and a half hours out to meet some guy that I barely met online and like dress promiscuously and be like, you know, it's just like stupid stuff that today you just, I would never do. Did and you want to die? Do you think? No, but like, I just didn't care about myself. I just didn't, you know, it's funny because I, I had this talk with this friend in college once about it. And, you know, we were talking about, it's weird. Like she was telling me she felt depressed sometimes. And we we just had this talk about sometimes when I, I told her, you know, sometimes when I cross the street, I think about not looking kind of thing. And she's like, oh my God, I feel the same. I She's like, I have the same. And we connected on that front. But like, yeah, it just self-harm type stuff. I felt like I was a failure because I'd done so well in school and hearing it still, I still have feelings of that. I feel like, you know, yeah, my master's degree and am I using it? No. 
I don't have much to offer because like living with an eating disorder, you're living, it's hard to date. It's hard to, I don't go out to eat for one. There's all these comorbidities, you know, you have depression, you have anxiety, you could have bipolar. Mm-hmm. I have an eating disorder that I've had for 30 some odd years. And I'm at a point where I'm medically stable and I'll go to the doctor and they'll say, you know, I don't think you have an eating disorder anymore. It's more, mostly OCD. Well, living with an eating disorder that hasn't been treated for 30 years, you're going to, I mean, it's a way of life. And trying to go on a date with someone and like, you know, not being home to eat at a certain time or not having your own foods and stuff, that's hard. You can't live around that. It's like having a child that has to go with you or like a a third limb or something that you have to carry around. I have these almost cycles of really bad sleep. And when I sleep poorly, my day's done. And I think it's hard for people to understand. There's a a poor, uh, I'm not comparing, but it sort of reminds me, like you don't understand how it impacts everything. It's hard. It's just hard. You know, I feel you feel defective when you have these different things. Like, you know, if you're if you're bipolar, I'm not just needed or if you're bipolar, if you're anything. Yeah. yeah. Um, so how how often on a weekly basis do you ideate? Oh, God, every day. I'm going through a period right now where my 86 year old father is in end stage Alzheimer's and he was in hospice. My, my 81 year old mother takes care of him full time at home. They don't mm-hmm. leave their apartment. And that is so hard to deal with. I still have a special relationship with my dad, but my dad was different from my mom's side of the family. My mom's side of the family was the one who put the brick wall in front of them and didn't talk about anything. My dad, on the other hand, I didn't know his family because they all passed away before I was born, but he was very emotional. And he, he, I remember talking to him about my depression before I was even diagnosed with depression. And he sat down with me and he was like, well, how do you feel? And I would tell, and I was, I was telling him, I mean, the, the 46 year old me knows now that that was me expressing to him about my depression. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't know it at the time. At the time I was just like, things are always the same. And, you know, I was using that kind of language, but vocabulary, yeah, yeah. physically he's still with us, but mentally three years ago, gone. It's so, and it's so hard to, to witness that. You know, I, I, I watch that and I think, you know, my, my dad is so lucky that he has my mom to watch him, you know, to love him. I mean, she does everything for him. He can't even walk by himself. She does everything. And I feel like, God, if I'm alone and I end yep. up with that, cause I know it's hereditary, yep. who's going to watch me? Ditto, Christina. <laughs> yeah. Ditto. And, and one of the things that caught my attention about when you told your story was you said you were in, in between a place of not wanting to live, but not wanting to die. That's where I am 24 seven. Yeah. The space between, right. Yeah. That's where I exist. You know, like I don't want to die. I don't, I'm afraid of death. I'm afraid of life. See, that's the thing. I'm afraid of life and I'm afraid of death. Yeah. It's hard. It's just, it's difficult to be in that space. Really difficult because you, you see all this life around you and you want to, you want to join in and you want, you know, like I, I have regrets. I have regrets of never having been married. I have regrets of having let this, my illness or whatever, get in the way of a relationship that I loved with someone. Like, um, I mean, I'm not blaming myself. It was my fault. I'm kind of blaming the system because I feel like they failed me. I feel like I fell through the feel like I'm still falling through the cracks. Yeah. And just to give you a little heads up, you know, like being on medical disability, you're on Medicare and you know, Medicare doesn't pay for much. They won't even let me see a nutritionist unless I have diabetes or renal failure. It's insane. Uh, We're in the dark ages of eat, treat, treating eating disorders. I mean, they didn't start yeah. treating 
So, and we're having mental health discussions too, which you could argue yeah. not yeah. far ahead. I don't know how you'd measure that, but yeah, yeah, a lot of stuff that's just not. I think, you know, alcoholism, drug addiction, I think they have a better chance of getting help, getting it paid for than someone with an eating disorder, yeah. unless I had private insurance. But because of my illness, I had to go on disability. So I'm being punished. Catch 22. Yeah, exactly. It's, crazy. it's, it's, it's inhumane. Are they criminals also? Maybe. Okay. That's just Sean, per, personal Sean announcement. My ego isn't too big. (laughs) Are you criminals? No, but I think you're not nice human beings and maybe should go sell cars. Okay. So here we are talking and we found each other in a, or you found me in a rather serendipitous way. Yeah. I know a lot of people that listen to the podcast said they they Google suicide. You know, I mean, I've Googled that stuff before too, but I didn't come across it that way. So, and I I just think it was a sign. I just think it was meant to be that I talked about my story because like I said, my cousin had a story and again, it's not my story to tell, but I think he gave me the strength to tell you my story today and I'm doing it in his honor. I loved him. I love him still. And I just, I wish he was with us still. When did he complete? July 28th of uh, this past summer. Wow. Okay. And the way I was told, my mom texted me and told me. Tough spot. Which is brutal. Yeah. How many people know that we are talking today? Uh, Two. My boyfriend and my mom. Oh, you told your mom. Okay. I did. Will she know how to listen to it? No, she's 81 years old. She won't know how to listen she to it. She won't find a podcast. She's not listening. And she to didn't it. ask about the title. Yeah. Uh, did, will your boyfriend listen? No, he didn't ask the title either. So I, I have a feeling neither of them will listen to it, to be honest with you. So I felt, yeah, I don't know. It'd be nice. Uh, but Now you shared earlier that you are a writer and I'm wondering if you wrote about any of this stuff at any point in your life. I'm sure I wrote notes in my journals growing up. I wrote, I, I did. I used to keep a journal and I'd write, this is the day I'm going to do it. This oh, is the day I'm going to do it. Like a calendar okay. type journal. And it's sad to see that now when I look back. I, I Of course, I threw threw all that out. It wasn't worth something worth keeping, but like I would write, today's the day. Today's the day. Oh. A lot of ideas. When you said you would write every day, I, I was in my mind like, I wonder if she's ever writing, like I'm out or I can't deal with this anymore or... I used to write on live journal. It was this, this platform yeah. and I used to write every day. I didn't really share about being depressed. Well, I, I shared about being depressed, but I wouldn't say I'm going to kill myself on that. But yeah, just going through my journals, mostly high school there. I remember this one in particular that was a calendar and like every other month it was, uh, there was a day marked. I'm going to do it today. Oof, do wow. It. Wow. That would be the start of the movie right there for me. If it was a movie, it would be like you doing that. A video panning over. I don't yeah, I don't know much about cinematography, but it'll be something <laughs> around like today's the day. So we know that a few people know you attempted because you mentioned they don't talk about it. Yeah. Is it is it only a few? Yeah. I mean, I've told every relationship I've been in, I've it's nothing that I'm ashamed of. And I tell them about my eating disorder too, because I'm not ashamed of it. In graduate school, and this is important, in graduate school, I did my thesis on eating disorders and I was telling people about my experience and they looked at me like I had five heads. They're like, why are you sharing this with us? I mean, you could cut you could cut the discomfort with a knife when I when I told them about this. They looked at me like, well, how do you expect to help other people if you're, I'm like, hello, that's that's what makes a therapist great in my opinion. I mean, I've been in therapy since I was in elementary school and Having had therapists who have dealt with this have made all the the difference in the world for me, you know? Christina, deep down, don't you think people like us are just a little smarter? Yeah. You're asking me why I'm talking about it? Is that a real question? Is that a real... Do you want me to take that seriously? 
know, I know, I know. It's insane. It's just, you got to laugh at it though. Now I just, I don't know how else to react. So do you ever wish that you, even though you don't remember much of it, that you had died that day? It's hard to answer that. Uh, no, because after that, I ended up in a relationship that was amazing. Um, so mm. I wouldn't have wanted to miss out on that. But it's hard because I think a lot about my cousin. And I think this is just where my weird brain goes. It's like, would you rather take his place kind of thing? There are days when I'm like, yeah, like he had so much going for him that I feel like, again, that might my worst enemy saying this, but like he was just the most, again, and I, I don't mean to blow smoke or whatever, but he was just the most selfless, caring, smart. I mean, he had so much going for him. And when I think about myself, I just think of, and again, I'm going dealing with depression. So this is normal. And I'm, I'm going to give myself some slack, but like, of course I'm going to think, you know, I wish it was me. You know, I wish I could give up my life that he still was here. It's hard to say that. I've never thought about that with respect to my own friend, my best friend killing friend, Yeah. Right? Years ago, sometimes I think I'm not well because my life moved on. I talk about this a lot. It, it wasn't as if it was easy, but also I was in my mid twenties. I think we're different then. You just bounce yeah. back differently. I, at least I did. Is there anything in your day to day that actually helps you deal or cope? It's hard because, like I said, I still don't have friends. I don't have I don't have supports. And honestly, I mean this is going to make you laugh too, but I've had therapists who have, you know, when I was trying to find a therapist this past month, um, I've had, I told therapists, you know, I don't really have many supports. I had one therapist who I tried to do some EMDR work with. And she said, well, you, I, you know, I'm like, I want to do the work. And she's like, well, you don't have any supports in your, in your life. And I don't think I can work with you. It's like, I'm telling them I have no supports in my life and they're abandoning me. They're like, I can't work with you because you have no one in your life. Again, I, you got to laugh at it. Number Public Sean announcement. <laughs> you need to get a new job. Therapists yeah. get to choose who they work with. I just think, hmm, okay, that's... Some of the things that, that are said. There's another tough question. You're 47. Almost, July. Um, do you think you'll make it to 50? I do think I'll make it to 50. I don't know if I could answer that to... If you said you make it to 60 or 70, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's, I don't know how much longer I can deal with. I, I mean, health wise, I'm doing okay. I'm medically fine. My doctors are like, we, I don't need to see you as much. Oh, you know, okay. I used to go to the doctor weekly for my illness, but mentally it's just, it's taken its toll. And um, there are days when I'm, I would say no to that. I would say, you're going to be here. You ask me, you're going to be here next month. And I would say, <laughs> you know. Today, I, yeah, I mean, I would say, yeah, 50 is definite. Unfortunately, that's around the corner. Am I going to like it? No. <laughs> so I just take it one day at a time, I guess. I'm trying to get better. I'm just trying to get better. I'm trying to get this monkey off my back. It must be tiring. It is very tiring. It's exhausting. Yeah. Uh, I don't think people understand that. I really don't. I, my life hasn't started yet, pretty much. Yeah, my life has not started yet. It's also a good title for a book. Is that a subtitle or a title? My life hasn't started yet. It sounds very memoir-ish. Are there any myths that you'd like to call out? Not so much myth, but um, yeah, I, I guess the myth is we've already talked about it and it's been beaten so many times, but like the whole thing about being selfish, I just, mm. I can't get over that one. And the fact that people have feel like they have to fix you, like, you know, you, you tell them I feel down or I'm feeling depressed. Like they try like, oh, well, you have to do this in order to get better. Like, I, I hate that. Like if you're, if I'm depressed and I go to someone and I say I'm down, 
I just want them to be comfortable with my silence. You know what I mean? Not try to say something for the sake of saying something and not try to fix things. Just be there with me through my pain or my, my depression. Just that'll help so much, you know? Why do you think it seems so difficult for people to do that? I think silence is scary for a lot of people. Why is it so scary? It's awkward. Silence is awkward. Why do you think I love that so much? <laughs> what the fuck? I yeah. love it. Is that weird? Am I a sociopath or a psychopath? Maybe seriously. You like silence, or you like that that statement? <laughs> oh, I like silence. I like. I don't say. I don't know if I like awkward, but I absolutely understand what it is, and I'm cool with it. I'm not. This isn't me patting myself on the back because I actually think I'm weird. Like, wait, why am I okay with it? This is why it's so hard for me to understand. I'm trying to get better at. How do you, meaning a lot of people out there, not understand this? You're heading this this campaign with this podcast. I hope you find the truth. I, you know, you need people. That's what I need. That's all I need is people to be comfortable with with being silent with me and just letting or letting me cry in front of them and letting me cry. Just don't don't interrupt me or say stop it. You know, my my parents used to drive my my um, grandparents' car to Florida. They were snowbirds and they used to leave us off at my aunt's house in Connecticut. And I used to cry my eyes out because I had abandonment. I, that's on a whole other topic, but I had uh, separation anxiety issues growing up. And I used to cry constantly. And my aunt would say, shape up or ship out. Can we break that down? All right. So shape up means in this context, stop crying. Stop your crying. Does it also <laughs> mean whatever you're crying about, just undo that? Undo it. Yeah, pretty much. And then, and your child. Or your Where child. are you going? Where are they shipping you out to? She Your brother wasn't me. literal. You were literal. Yeah. So you might you might have felt that. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. That's the way it was. It was resolved for me. That's the way it was to handle. And did it help? No. Did I still cry? <laughs> All right. Let's go back for now. I'm not picking on your family, but it comes up. I Please can do. say with almost certainty in the history of the world, in any language, at any time, and I'm not saying for sure I know this, but by and large, that expression has never helped anyone ever. What do you know, Sean? You're not a parent. They're right about that. I'm not a parent. I just do have some common sense. Yeah, common sense. Shape up or ship out, not a thing you want to tell someone. And then if you did it and you feel a little bad about it, you know it would be cool too? I'm just throwing it out there. Like, you'd be like, hey, sorry I said that. My bad. Yeah. You could say that to kids. They'd, they'd probably appreciate it. Give them a hug. Anything else you want to share? It's literally like kind of open. No, I think I mentioned everything. Good. I don't know when this is coming out, but if I can just mentioned I doing this for my cousin. I just want that to be mentioned. That's all. And I wish him well, wherever he is, I'm doing this for him. He's giving me the strength to, to talk again, you know, cause I went a couple of years not talking about it in grad school. That's all I talked about. People couldn't shut me up. I, I think I just have a question. One more question. And it, it's almost an unfair question. I'm going to ask it. You don't have to answer. Obviously you said earlier that you don't appreciate, I'm paraphrasing people telling you what to do. So I imagine you don't like telling people what to do. Right, right. If someone's thinking about ending their life, who's listening? And I'm sure there are some people out there who are thinking about ending their life who are listening. I'm sure. What would you say? Find someone or something that brings you joy. Just take some time to enjoy it or, you know. Um, now, now, let me just ask a question. Chances are they've tried that. Yeah. Just like you've probably tried a bunch of things too. I, yeah. I don't mean to ask a loaded question that doesn't really have an answer, but yeah, I don't know what the answer is. I would say, you know, if someone came to me and yeah. was saying that they felt like taking their life or whatever, I would say, I'm here. Yeah. That's all. I'm here. If you want me to be here, I'm here. If you don't want me to be here, I won't yeah. be here. But 
I say, every, you know, I appreciate you as a person. I have been there. That mm. helps people hear that because I have been there. I'm not just yeah. saying. And just, you know, I'm here. Let it let out. If you want to cry, cry. If you want to scream, if you want to punch things, do it, you know. But I wish I had been able to to talk with my cousin one more time. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. I I, I did see him one last time. He visited my, my dad because my dad can't go anywhere. And I think that was his way of saying goodbye. But yeah. There was a part of me that wanted to do a PSA again and say, reach out, talk to them. But you know what? I'm hesitant because you can do that and hurt them. Yeah. So once you start saying, but reach out only if you know how to be empathetic, but don't do it if you're, then then it's a clusterfuck. And it's That's like, true. I, there's no answer here. But you're right. I think by and large, people want to talk about it. I think that's important to know. They may not. That doesn't mean they're going to talk about it, any number of reasons. But I think most people just quit talking about it. It's just too difficult. People aren't listening well. They're not going to get it. They just stop. Yeah. It's like, what's the point of bringing right. it up? I mean, that's how I am with my doctor sometimes. It's like, why even mention something? Because they give me canned you know, answers that I've heard before that right. do nothing. There's part of me that wants to say, if you feel like someone's in that spot, man, reach out to them and literally be very explicit. I want to hear what's going on. I'm not going to say a word that you have my word. Yeah. And if you right. want me to talk and have a question, then you can ask me and I'll, 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 I'll share. But I just feel like sometimes people need to know it's complicated. They need space. Just give people space. That's yeah. That's but Christina, all. people don't know what that means or what it looks like yeah. in practice in application. I did that. I did that. No, you really yeah. didn't. You, you were quiet for 30 seconds, maybe a few minutes. And then you did the thing that many of us do. And I'm not pointing fingers here because it's hard and we don't learn it. We don't learn it. Isn't that crazy? This should be taught in schools. It should be more, <laughs> it should be a fundamental course. It's human 101 should be the name of the course. I don't know. It's just a lot of people would fail in that course, unfortunately. Human yeah. 101. Yeah. I think a lot of, a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of professionals would fail human 101. That's the, that's the sad thing. You know, I hope that gets better. I don't know. I mean, I just, I really, I want to go into the field and hopefully make a change. I, I'm, I, a lot of people say on your podcast, there must be a reason I'm going through all this. There must be a reason I've been going through this. Yeah. There's got to be a reason that I'm surviving it. Staying I, sure here. Just, I sure it should help. I hope so. Right. Because that's a tough pill to swallow if there isn't. And I hope I can make a change because it just, it angers me dealing with it. And I just, I want to be, it just, I can't even start go there. It's just, yeah, it's so frustrating. But yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard to, to know what to say to people. Well, that is why, even though I talk a lot on this podcast, when in doubt, you don't have to say anything. Human 101, class number one. You don't have to say anything, actually. I mean, at some point you probably do because not everyone just has a monologue they're ready to spit out. You kind of know when someone's interested in what you're saying or not. So you can't fake interest. So I don't know how to help people get more interested in what people are saying. If they don't care, they don't care. But boy, that goes a long way. I agree with you. Why do I feel like I'm speaking Latin when I say that sometimes? In elementary school, the the therapist, when I, uh, the school therapist told me to go into the woman's room and run my hands under warm water. And that would make me feel better when I had separation anxiety as a elementary school child, like. I was given so many fix-it things like that that you can't believe. It just oh, wow. do this and that that'll fix you'll be fine. Go for a walk, go exercise. Is the uh, just it it's insane. And yeah, people just don't get it. They're not not a lot of people aren't educated. That's the that's another problem. You know what I've learned? 
and this is the most cynical view of all. I don't think those people are ever going to get it. So I just wonder when we uh, someone comes on the podcast and I ask them if they have a message for people, however I frame it, and they're like, yeah, if you know, someone in your life is struggling, like you said, just be there. I think they already get it or they don't, and it won't make a difference what we say, and I hate to say that. And it's kind of offensive if someone doesn't get it and I'm saying you don't get it. That sounds shitty, but that's how I feel. That's the language I'm choosing. You get other things. It's not like you don't get anything. You just, you don't get this. Okay, final Sean rant over. Well, Christina, thank you in New Hampshire. Thank you, you too. Nice talking. Thank you, you. bye-bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. Special thanks to Christina up in New Hampshire. Thank you, Christina. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. And check the show notes for all kinds of other cool and interesting things we're doing. If you'd like to participate or get more involved, however you show up, thank you. And that is all for episode number 160. Stay strong. Do the best you can. I'll talk to you soon.